Amen. All right. Well, I am the pastor of New Heights Baptist Church in Aurora, Colorado. And I got, I got a few of our guys here. And uh, my, uh, my uh, dad actually drove up from Ocala this morning. Uh, he's one of my heroes. He's a Vietnam vet, Persian uh, Gulf vet. And I'm going to have him pray for us here in a moment. Uh, but uh, look, if you would, at Luke chapter 14. If you'd pray for our church, we'd appreciate it. Uh, we are in a situation where we, we need uh, uh, more space. And anyone that knows things about uh, real estate in Colorado, it's very expensive, much like uh, wherever Brother Robinson is at, much like Portland, uh, that's Denver. Uh, so if you'd pray for us, we'd appreciate that. Uh, Luke chapter 14, and, and between services, I want to make sure I, I mention this. I don't know where Mrs. Peacock, Mrs. Magdalene, and Mrs. Holland are, but if someone can get those ladies for me and my kids have something for them, I'd appreciate it. Luke chapter 14, uh, Luke chapter 14, look if you would at verse number uh, 11. Luke chapter 14, verse number, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, verse number 1. And it came to pass, as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. Uh, and it's just a good reminder that not everybody's watching Jesus for the right reasons, right? They watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. And Jesus answering, spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. And he took him and healed him and let him go. And answered them, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to these things. I love it when Jesus asks a question and nobody can answer it. Uh, and they could not answer him. So that, I love that. Look at verse 7. He put forth a parable of those which were bidden when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come and, uh, and he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and I begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say to thee, Friend, Go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit and meet with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Uh, Papi, can you open us up in a word of prayer? Amen. Amen. I want to bring something to you for just a few moments. Uh, I think this will be a help. I hope it will be. Uh, something that I, I believe I've been going back and forth on two thoughts this entire week, and, and they're both connected. Uh, and I think you've kind of gotten some things this week that will be a real help to you if you were paying attention. And, and some of those things have to do with the fact that as Christians, we sometimes put pressure on ourselves. And listen, there's a healthy kind of pressure. The Bible says that Jesus, when he's in that garden, he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. 
And, and you say, what is it? That's pressure. There's nothing wrong. That was him submitting to the Father's will. Nothing wrong with pressure if it's from the Lord. There's a problem with pressure when you put yourself in a place that God never intended you to be. And so I think one of the issues we have as believers, I would say this, the issue of our age, and I know we, make, we kind of make light sometimes and, and joke about the fact that this generation can't tell if they're men or if they're girls or what they are, and that's a tragedy. But let me tell you why that is. It's because they don't have the Word of God. They don't have a foundation. They don't know which way's up, which way's down. And there's so much anxiety and depression and pressure in the world, and they've got nowhere to go. They don't know what's right. And so from the first time that they have any kind of doubt about who they are, what they are, someone's in their face telling them, well, if you're a boy and you feel like a girl, then maybe you're a girl. Thank God for the Word of God, amen? It clarifies so much of that. But the reason that they're in that place is because the issue of today is one of identity. And if you're a believer and you're in Jesus Christ, let me tell you right now, you don't always have to be in first place to matter. <laughs> you matter because you're a child of God. We, we have this idea in our minds, over there in Corinthians, Paul spends a, a healthy amount of time trying to address the gifts within the church and, and the gifts of the Spirit of God. And he tells him at the end of chapter 12, but covet earnestly the best gifts. Now, let me show you a more excellent way. Why does Paul do that? He does that for this reason. He wants them to know it's not about your gifts or your talents or your abilities. It's about who you are in Jesus Christ. And the ear marker is not what you can do, but, so, but more so, who you can love, charity. So in this chapter, the Lord Jesus Christ is trying to address something. It's an issue of identity. It's an issue of value. And, and so he tells them, listen, uh, uh, be mindful of the fact that, that you are not necessarily the one to put yourself in first place. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number 18. I love this chapter because what the Lord does is he shows us the the issue with us oftentimes is we don't value what God values. And, and, and so you got this story where, you know, you know the story, there's uh, the one guy, go, get, they get bidden to this feast, and one guy goes, I bought a piece of land, I can't come. Who buys land without looking at it first, right? And then the other guy goes, I bought some oxen, and I can't come, and, and uh, my favorite is the last one. In the original Greek, it says, I am whooped. All right? He says, I married a wife, therefore I cannot come. And, and the, the Lord is, is, throws that out there to remind us the issue is the issue of values. All right, for example, he looks at them and says, okay, so you've got a problem with me healing this man because the Sabbath day is your idol, so much so that you forgot the spirit of the law and you're sticking to the letter of the law and you'd rather let this man suffer while you would also rather pick up your, your ass or your ox out of that ditch. You say, what's the issue? They valued their stuff more than people. And so in this chapter, over and over and over, the Lord is trying to, I think, show us that the issue of identity and value matters to God. He wants us to get it straight. Does he not say, whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all? Uh, can I illustrate it this way? Go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. John 13, we got limited time, so I'm going to talk fast, like Ricky Ricardo, and you will listen fast, and we'll get done fast, all right? John chapter 13 and uh, look, if you would, at John chapter 13, verse number 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto what? Amen. 
Man, isn't it, isn't it an amazing thought that he loved them all the way to all of them, including Judas? Now, 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 the idea that the Lord gives us in Luke 14 is to, to learn to take the back seat, to, to not always have to put yourself, the, the pressure that comes when you put yourself in first place, when you feel that the only way that you matter is by being in front, by, by being the one that everyone is, is paying attention to. That's not why you matter to God. Amen. And so oftentimes, I believe we go back to our ministries and there's, there's a great deal of pressure and the pressure is there because everything's on me. And it's not on you, it's on the Lord. <laughs> uh, look at you in John 13, look at verse 2 and I love this because it illustrates for me that the Lord Jesus Christ was so focused and committed and dedicated, if you will, to the mission that nothing was going to move him off target. Verse 2, supper being ended, the devil having now put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he was come from God and went to God. Look at the confidence in verse 3. Verse 4, he riseth from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded him. So I know you know the story, but let's be honest. Let's say we're having the, the, the last supper tonight. And we're sitting down. Everybody gets, gets their seat, you know, and you've got, I don't know. I'm in, I'm, I'm in Jacksonville, so I'm going to I'm gonna try to fit in, okay? Chicken and dumplings. <laughs> All right. Is that fair? I don't know. Right, listen, if it was my house, it'd be mofongo, arroz con gandules, and pernil asado. I don't know, but, but whatever it is, there, there they are. And they're sitting around the table, and, and as, they, as they all gather, think about this. The Bible says the Lord knows exactly where everyone's at. He knows what Judas is about to do. Can I ask you a question, you preachers in the room? If you knew that the betrayer was in the room, wouldn't you feel like that would kind of take precedent? Like, this is what I need to address right now? Uh, let's be honest, man. If I knew someone's going to betray me, we're going to have a church split, and this guy walks in and sits down, I'm like, that's him. Right there. I'm not thinking about eating. I'm not thinking about girding myself with a towel. I mean, think about it. Honestly, if you had a chance to shut it down, you know how the Gospels would end if Adrian Dominguez was in the place of Jesus Christ? It would end like this. You're about to get a beatdown, son. I'm calling every one of my cousins and primos, and we're going to jump USA. That's what's going to happen. Thank God we're not Jesus. But basically, the Lord has the opportunity to go in there and, 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 and execute justice and exact vengeance before the crime even takes place. What does he do? Puts a towel on. And he takes the back seat. He washes their feet. I sure am glad for a Savior that's willing to wash feet. You say, why did he do that? He had the right value system. You ever thought about this? The, the, the Bible speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit, and it says that he, he will not speak of himself, but he'll speak of things concerning me. And so the, the Holy Spirit of God, now think about this. I'm not trying to be a, a, you know, a doctrinally sensational or anything like that. I know that the Bible says in John 1, the beginning was the Word, and the, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and without Him was nothing created that was created. I understand that. But, but, but think about it like this. Uh, who shows up in the Scriptures first by the titles Spirit of God versus Son of God? Who shows up first? Spirit. I promise it's not a trick question. You ever go to church and like, who loves God? <laughs> Liar! 
If you love God, you tithe. You know, that's not what we're doing here, I promise. The, the Spirit of God shows up first in Genesis chapter 1. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. You know what the Spirit of God could have said when Jesus showed up? I showed up first. I was here first. I get mentioned first. Why should I take a back seat to you? You know, I learned the sign of maturity is not who can preach better. The sign of maturity is not who's got them. And I, I thank God for Bible-believing meetings like this one where you don't have people getting up and talking about how great their works are. It's about Jesus Christ and the Word of God. <laughs> but let's be honest. The temptation in our minds at times is to feel like if, if I'm not Paul... <laughs> Can I remind you that, 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 that Paul would not be Paul if it were not for a man named Barnabas? Amen. And then the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4, it talks about this man Barnabas, how he was with those that were of one mind and one heart and one soul. And you see unity in the life of Paul. And, and then you also see, excuse me, in Barnabas. And, and then you see not only that, you see charity. He sells his land, gives it to the church, and lays it at the apostles' feet. I would love to do offering that way. You know, preacher just stands there. You know, every Sunday morning, can you imagine how awkward that would be? The preacher stands there and everybody puts their offering at his feet. Like, like I'm glad we don't do that. <laughs> it's more of a Jewish thing, you know, I get it. But, but, but here they, they bring the offering and, and Barnabas lays it at his feet through charity. And, and you see a contrast between Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira because what they did is they saw, oh, this is how you get attention. This is why you matter. Then we'll do it too, but we'll hold back part of the prize. You see, Barnabas wasn't about the show. He was about substance. People that learn to take the back seat, can I say this? They're not about the show. Uh, go to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And, and can I just remind you that, that Romans and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and so on and so forth, uh, and some would argue whether Hebrews is Paul's or not. All right, fine. We'll leave that one out for just now, okay? But all that said, look at all the letters that Paul writes. You know how they start? Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ, an apostle of God, uh, sent to those that, that be in Rome, uh, a beloved of God, called to be saints. Uh, he does it over and over and over. So 13 books in your New Testament, half of your New Testament is written by one man. You know what you would say? Most important figure in church history outside of Jesus Christ. Can I show you something here, though? Look, if you would, at Acts chapter 13. You know what we're trying to learn to do? We're trying to take some pressure off of ourselves. Uh, look, if you would, I'm sorry, Acts chapter number 11. Forgive me, Acts chapter number 11. You're close. Acts chapter number 11. Look, if you would, at verse number 30. I want to show you something. Now, maybe you've noticed this before, maybe you haven't. Uh, Acts 11, verse 30, which also they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now, Saul gets saved in Acts 9. We know that. You're Bible students. Saul gets saved in Acts chapter number 9. And, and for, in our minds, uh, most of the book of Acts is about this one character. For, for uh, uh, the early part, it's about Peter switches to Saul. But, but I want to show you that, that there's no, listen to me carefully, there's no Paul without Barnabas. And I want you to see that the order of these names is significant. Look at chapter 12 and verse 25. In verse 24, it says, the word of God grew and multiplied. 
And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they fulfilled their ministry, taking a love offering. There's no uh, Zelle, there's no Cash App, there's no Venmo. You want to send money, it goes the old-fashioned way. They took it to the saints in Jerusalem, and they were faithful with that. But notice the order of the names in verse 25. It is Barnabas and Saul. Look at chapter 13. Chapter 13, and you know the story. Uh, they get sent out. The, the hands are laid on them, and they, they are ordained, if you will, to go out with the gospel. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number 2. As they ministered to the Lord, this is the church of Antioch, and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, what two people? I, I want you to notice the order. Look, if you would, at verse number 7, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Who? Now, you may not think that's important. I think it is. And I believe it's, I'm going to show you it's significant. Remember when Moses gets called the Lord to go and let my people go? Remember that? He goes up to Pharaoh. And initially, you know what he tells God? I can't talk. I put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. I'm no good. I can't do this. And so God gets, I mean, you read the chapter. That passage is so good because you can almost feel God rolling his eyes. And, 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 and go, fine, Moses, I'll send Aaron with you. And the first chapter, Exodus 5, Aaron is speaking. Exodus 6, Aaron is speaking. Exodus chapter 7, Aaron is speaking. And then Exodus chapter 8, something happens, I believe supernaturally, and it's almost like Moses can't take anymore. And Moses steps into the calling that God made for his life, and he chooses to be who God wanted him to be from the beginning. And when he does that, he doesn't shut up the rest of the book of Exodus. And can I point out, maybe, I don't know, I can't prove it, but maybe that's the reason why when Moses goes up that mountain and talks with God and is getting the commandments from God to bring them back down, maybe that's why when Aaron is down there, he goes, you know what, I was supposed to be number one. Here I am, he's left me, and now all of a sudden i got to carry the responsibility, but I'm still number two. Forget that. We're going to do this my way. Maybe, I can't prove it, but I, I wonder if that played a part. You say, what is that? Human nature. You know what God does supernaturally in the book of Acts? Look, if you would at Acts chapter 13. You're Bible believers. You, you believe every word matters, right? Look at verse 43. Acts 13. This is kind of like Sunday school, right? So we're looking at some verses together. Acts 13, verse 43. And when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed who? Look at verse 46. Then what two people? Look at what it, chapter 13, verse number 50. But the Jews stood up the devout and honorable women. Hell hath no fury, right? And the chief men of the city and raised persecution against what two people? And this goes on and on and on. Now, you say, what's the deal? I'm trying to show you that you don't have to be Paul. And can I make this statement? I don't want you to get upset with me. You know, people, yeah, I don't know how to split a Bible in church. It's not over the King James Bible. It's not even over a contemporary Christian. You know how you do it? Who was right, Paul or Barnabas in Acts chapter 15? <laughs> you know what the answer might be? Both of them? A little bit? You say, what happens? Well, there's contention there. And you know the story. Barnabas goes his way. You know what I think Barnabas thought? Are you kidding me? I did this twice for you. I brought you into the circle. I brought you in the circle twice. And you're going to kick out my nephew because he blew it? And you know what God does? He takes two good men. 
And I think Barnabas had a chance to, to maybe follow Paul. I can't prove it. We'll find out when we get to heaven. But here's what I'll say. He takes two good men and uses them in a great and mighty way. Barnabas learned, I don't have to be in first position. You might think his life is over. It's not. You know at the end of Paul's ministry, he says, bring John Mark. He is profitable. Why? Because Barnabas learned to take the back seat. Christians, you want to, be, you want to know what dedication is? It's being able to sit back and go, okay, I don't have to be the one doing everything. I don't have to be the one running everything. I don't have to be the one with a title. I just have to be where God wants me. I got news for you. If everybody's driving, we're going to wreck the car. I, I pray it's a help to you. Maybe